Guys, we did it. We did it. Week 49. High fives all around through the church. Yeah. I feel like I'm on the prices right. This is amazing. I love it. No, we did it, guys. Whew. We did all the way through the book of Matthew. They said it couldn't be done. No, actually, they totally thought we could because actually they thought we were taking the lazy way out, Ben and I, and just picking one sermon series instead of, you know, crafting a sermon calendar or stuff like that. But you just saw, for those of you just joining us, that was um, the director's cut of all of our bumper videos or all the, the little mini series that we have done as a church family where we have spent the last year studying the book of Matthew. Because our hope was that if we, if we could spend a year consistently just kind of immersing our mind in retelling the stories and the teachings of who Jesus is and what he called us to be, that that would change us. We thought that if we encountered God's word, that it would get into our heads, we would understand it, that it would then go into our hearts, change who we are, and then it would come out our hands in the way that we live in the world and in the way that we do things. Um, and I, I hope that this really has been a formative experience for you. Maybe this is one of the first times that you've ever dug that deep into like the, the book of Matthew or kind of seen that these Bible books, they have a shape to them. The authors arranged them on purpose. And, and so here we are. And my hope is that we have become better disciples of Jesus over the last 49 weeks. And, and maybe you can take a moment. Let's all take a deep breath. Let's go ahead, breathe it in. Let it out. Maybe you can pinpoint something in your life that's different from a year ago. Some way that God's spirit has been working on your life or your heart. Maybe it's more courage. Maybe it's more patience. Maybe there's something that, that is core to the teachings of Jesus that you're just living in and experiencing like you haven't before. And, and one of the things that we've started doing that I think is really cool is uh, we've, we've put out these little sticky notes that have the I wills, right? They are a, a statement that we would encourage ourselves to come up with, where we say, I will do this thing because the word of God, the spirit of God, is causing me to change my behavior or causing me to change the way I think about myself. And do you know what happens when, in a year, a church spends 52 weeks taking 52 little I will baby steps of obedience toward Jesus. Do you know what happens? I don't know, but I'm really excited to find out. Because I know that over my life, that digging into the teachings of Jesus has, has shaped me and will continue to shape me. When I was um, a wee lad, and that's the Greek for nerdy 16-year-old, but when I was uh, younger, there was a church I listened to. They did 100 episodes through the book of Luke. And, and little Andrew um, was this excited about it. This is, I'm sure nobody else did this, but I would log on at midnight, at Sunday night, to like go to their website and download the MP3 of whatever sermon was in 
through Luke because what was happening in my heart um, was I really learned how to, I learned a lot about being a man by watching the life of Jesus. I learned a lot about being a human. I learned a lot about being a Jesus follower and I was, I was excited, I was on fire, I was hungry. And so my hope for us as a church is that maybe we've had a little bit of that experience. In the book of Psalms, chapter 1, it talks about the, a picture of what the life of a Jesus follower, the life of someone who follows God is supposed to be. And that picture is a tree with roots that go deep down next to streams of living water. And I was hiking at Silver Falls a couple weeks ago with my almost three-year-old daughter, and we found this tree that had all these like gnarly root system going down and all around, and she thought it was the coolest thing ever because she went inside the tree then and under the roots and was like, look, Dad, I'm in my tree cave. And I don't know any vocabulary words to tell her that that's wrong. So yeah, that's your tree cave. There you go. But I want to be someone who's got roots that go down deep. I want to be someone who has a story uploaded into my, my mind as I'm going about in the world, something that, that has some weight, some substance, some strength to it. Because I need more strength. I need something to rely on. And here's what else I know about people, is that we live stories. There's a story that you tell yourself. And their stories, some of them we picked up on the playground, some of them we picked up at the dinner table, some of them somebody told to us, maybe it was a grandparent, maybe it was a bully, I don't know. Stories like, I'm not enough, stories like, I should be taller, I should be smarter, I should be tougher, stories like, nobody has my back, I gotta look after me. And some of those stories, they don't line up with what I see in scripture. They don't line up with what I think Jesus would say is true about me. And I think the mission of people who follow Jesus, the task in the day to day, is to immerse our mind, to go to God's word and put our roots down deep so that we know the story of God in our head, so that we believe it deep down in our hearts and then it changes the way that we live and it comes out our hands into the world around us. And so what do we do with that great big story? I'm so glad you asked. That's the next point on my outline, but first let's pray. Father God, we love you. And we believe that you love us. Jesus, you made us on purpose to be your children, to be gifted to live in this world and to do good things for others, and to follow after you. Holy Spirit, push us. Push us to be more like Jesus. Push us to be the people that you're shaping us to be. Push us as a community to make an impact in the world around us. Speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, here we are at the very end of the book of Matthew. And we have established how the whole Old Testament, the first two-thirds of the Bible, are summed up. They're fulfilled 
in the life of who Jesus is. Because uh, Genesis, pages 1 and 2, God creates the world. He creates it good. He gives a mission to Adam and Eve as humans to live as image bearers of God. They have a great big mission to build really cool things and to do really cool things. Um, so how many of you have done something really cool this year that you're proud of? Anybody? Done something really cool? Here's what I did yesterday. You ready? I cleaned the garage. Yes, the applause. Thank you. Yes, yes. No, I was being an image bearer of God. I was, I was bringing order to the chaos that was all of the stuff that ends up in somebody's garage. But we do this. This is, this is humans. We're built to do cool things. We're built to help people and run marathons and organize garages and do graphic arts and all the cool things that you do. That's the image of God in your life. But humans, we have also this tendency for ickiness, for evil. And Adam and Eve, they broke, right, the commandment. God said, don't eat the fruit. What's the one thing they do? They eat the fruit. That's how it goes. And we do this over and over again. And then the story of the Old Testament is the story of God showing up in this upstart nation of Israel and saying, I'm going to fix this human project, this, this project of creation that is now going astray. And God shows up to these people, and they're absolutely perfect. They make no mistakes, and they just make it real easy for God the whole way, right? No. The name Israel means the people who wrestle with God. And so if maybe you feel like you're somebody who wrestles, where God says, okay, I need you to do this, and you go, ooh, I don't want to do that. That sounds costly. That sounds hard. You're in good company. Because that is what the people of God have always done. Is we've wrestled with God, but we have walked after him, and he sought after us. And so then in Matthew chapters 1 and 4, uh, 1 through 4, Baby Jesus comes, and he's born, and he's put in a manger. And it's interesting because he sends shockwaves of fear all the way through the king and the power structures that are around him as a little baby in a manger. And, and King Herod is so afraid of this king of the Jews, this promised person who will put all things right, prophesied in the Old Testament, that he then apostles, he sends, some, some soldiers to go put a stop to this because he can see the collision course that the kingdom of Jesus is on with the kingdom of the world. And, and then Jesus is in a desert in chapter 4. He's confronted by Satan himself. And once again, we have a human who needs to make a decision. Are they going to trust the story of God or are they going to take and eat? Satan says, you're fasting. You don't have to fast. Just make some bread. You're going to die on a cross to gain authority. You're going to serve. You don't have to do that. Just take the easy way out. Just worship me. I'll give you authority. I'll give you a path to happiness. And Jesus did what all of us have to do, which is to look at that promise dead in the eyes and choose a different path. And so Jesus does, and then he teaches his disciples about what that path is. He stands on a mountain, and he gives a sermon, a sermon on a mount, if you will. And, 
through chapters 5 through 7, Jesus preaches an upside-down kingdom where he takes all of the laws that we know about physics and the way that social should work and the way that we can grab power and pleasure in this world, and he turns it on its head, and he invites people to follow him and to be his disciple. And so he's got what we have referred to as the smelly football team, the 12 guys that follow Jesus around as he does his ministry, and then for the next 13 chapters, in chapters 9 through 22, Jesus not only tells, he doesn't just stand on the mountain and say, do it this way, everyone, but he gets his hands dirty, he gets into the mess, and he lives a kingdom life. He shows his disciples what it means to be the people of God in the way that he does miracles. He brings hope and life to dead situations that everyone else had given up on. And, and you better believe it, like the disciples are learning. Class is in session. The whole time that Jesus is doing the things that we just assume Jesus does, like talk to centurions and paralytics and people who are possessed by demons, that's just a day in the life for Jesus. But that's a day in the life in the kingdom. To encounter brokenness and to say, I believe in a God of hope. And I think Jesus showed us in that. He showed us in the way that he taught parables about what it means to follow God and to be that human. And then he would just straight up teach and just tell them, you're doing it this way? And this is one of my you know, parents' favorite phrases. Stop it. Knock it off. Get off that high ledge. No, I don't. You know, whatever, the, whatever my parents said. But Jesus, he would just straight up call it like he saw it. And that leads to some confrontation. In chapters 22 through 26, he confronts the religious leaders and the status quo. And even within this temple system that, that God had laid out in the Old Testament, there's room for corruption. And there's, there's room for the ickiness of the human heart to surface its head. And Jesus calls it out and calls them to something more. And it costs him. He dies on a Roman cross. He's executed. He suffers in our place for our sins, and he's innocent. And in that moment, his disciples are not thinking, this is the victorious king of God, king of the, the, king of the world. This is not the victorious king. They're thinking, our savior's on a cross, and we don't know what to do. And, and Jesus is once again our example about how the way up in the upside-down kingdom is through humility and subversion and doing the right thing. I was talking to a mentor one time, and I was, I was like bemoaning. I was like, I did the right thing, but it really cost me. And he was like, good. The right thing should cost you sometimes. And it did. But that's not the end of the story. Because Jesus rises from the dead, and on Sunday, when the women go to the tomb, it is empty. And that invites everyone else into, all of us, into the mission of Jesus. So this is a, this is a really big story. And you're like, Andrew, it only took you like how many minutes to explain all this? And you expect me to live this every day? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because this is the story we say we believe when we say, I'm a Christian. 
I'm a Jesus follower. I think the word that Jesus would have used was disciple. And so what do we do next? Uh, in, the, in the movie Finding Nemo, a great theological work of philosophy. Um, but in the movie Finding Nemo, you got the fish, and they're always trying to get out, right? They're trying to do their escape plan. And they finally get out, and they're in the little baggies, and they get in the ocean, and they look at each other, and they say, now what? We did it. We got here. So Dallas Church, like 49 weeks through the book of Matthew. We did it. Touch yourself on the back. Good job. Now what? I'm so glad you asked. Let's look at verse 16 of chapter 28. So the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. So, so just imagine this situation, right? Like the disciples have scattered. They've gone their separate ways. And they encounter the resurrected Jesus, which I don't even know that I have all the categories for what that was like. Because Jesus does some crazy stuff when he's resurrected. He's like walking through walls and things like that. And he's, he's standing there, and some of them, when they encounter the person of Jesus face to face, they fall down and they worship. And what's the other reaction? Some doubt it. Some, uh, this Greek word could also be translated as hesitated. They're, they're needing to process this a little bit. They got to wrestle with this. And this is one of, I think this is a good case for um, the accuracy of the Gospels, because if you were a disciple making this stuff up, you would not write yourself as a character the way the disciples get written. Because you would have been like, yeah, Jesus said, love your neighbor, and so then I went outside and loved my neighbor. Like, that's how we would write it. We wouldn't be like, so then I come face to face with the risen son of God. I don't know if I buy it. <laughs> like, but there's, there's space. And so I, I think that's an important distinction. Like, we need to make this. We need to say there is space to wrestle. If, if you are taking steps towards Jesus, or maybe, like, somehow, I don't know your story, but, like, you ended up here at Dallas Church, like the rest of us. We don't even know how we ended up here. It's great. Jesus is doing something. But, but we end up here, and we say, I'm not perfect. I'm not together. I'm still wrestling with God. Good. Welcome to the club. But we're all taking steps of obedience. We're all walking towards Jesus. This is the culmination of what Matthew has written about in this gospel with the disciples because he's talked about the little faith. Well, the famous line where Peter tries to walk on the water, he falls in the water, and Jesus says, oh, ye of little faith. But how much faith do you need to move a mountain? Mustard seed. That's what Jesus said. And so if, as like, we look at this, this is a high call that Jesus is going to lay down. Like, make disciples of who? Just everyone, all the nations. And if you're looking at that going like, wow, that sounds really intimidating. We just need to start with a mustard seed. Little steps of obedience. Little steps where we say, Jesus, I'm going to give this part of me to you today. Breathe some light into that. Breathe some life into that. And let's go from here. So Jesus, he comes to those disciples and he tells them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. All the authority on heaven and earth. Um, notice I, I'm quoting Jesus. I'm not saying that, right? That'd be way too weird. But 
He's saying that heaven and earth, this project of God, they're, they're brought back together and they're one. Now, if you look out at the world, you scroll through Facebook, Apple News, you know, whatever you're looking at, does it look like that's true? No. No. And we live in this interesting moment between when Jesus has won the victory, like Satan's already been served papers, like darkness knows that it's losing. But we're, we're in that awkward moment before the kingdom fully comes. And we do look forward. It's like, and if that sounds pie in the sky, I really hope there's a lot more than pie, right? Like there's, like, we have a hope in this great big story of God being completed in all the sad things of the world becoming untrue. And I, I think that's a story that's got some teeth to it. I think that's a story that's, that's got some reality to it. It bugs me when I'm watching Christmas movies and people are like, well, the true message of Christmas is family. And I'm like, well, almost. True message of Christmas is that darkness get its butt kicked. Like that's, like Jesus is gonna wipe the floor. That's the message. And Jesus says, so all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And instead of Jesus saying, so you sit down Find a lazy boy and some Netflix, some potato chips. Like, you just enjoy this. Jesus says, join me. We know that there are supposed to be two M's in the word co-mission. We've misspelled it on the slide. I know that because it's a co-mission. Like, it's Jesus is cooperating with us, inviting us into building kingdom and cleaning garages. Like, he says, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Um, we're going to do a baptism today. And that is a beautiful symbol of what Jesus does in everybody's heart. Because we, we go under the water. It's like we're dying to the old self. We are raised to a brand new life of being a disciple and following Jesus. And we do that not in our own power, but in the power of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Unity with God, walking with Jesus. And that's a really cool thing. And so Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all the nations. Notice he doesn't tell them, okay, we're going to go be rabbis. We're going to set up schools of discipleship. Everybody follow us. We're like, no, we follow Jesus. We are disciples who make disciples. And how do we do that? Well, we go. And here's, here's something that has bugged me um, when someone pointed it out to me. You ever have that where someone points something out to you and then you're like, I cannot unsee this. I cannot go back. Jesus says go. And our strategy with many of the churches in America is that we settle for come. We say, come hang out with us. 9, 1030. It's great. Come worship Jesus. And where's the mission that Jesus doesn't tell his disciples to go start worship services. He doesn't tell his disciples to go make really cool outreach events. He tells them to go make disciples. To teach people how to follow Jesus. So like this is a great avenue for that. That's what we're doing here. Um, please do 
invite people to Christmas Eve. It's going to be great, right? Like we threw every chair that we owned down right now because we're trying to make space for people to know about Jesus. And we just want to celebrate and declare because we've seen the fruit of what God does when he breathes life into the parts of our life that needed it. And we, how could you not share that or invite people into that? Uh, my brother once told me, and he loves this meme, where it's like, he's like, Andrew, I just really need you to know that people do not walk around recommending things to each other. They do not recommend operating systems. Because there's, there's like this whole thing where Windows is like, would you, how likely are you to recommend Windows as an operating system to someone? You ever gone to Safeway where they got the little like question? They're like, how likely are you to recommend Safeway to someone? And I'm like, I would not. Like, I'm not, a, I'm not an evangelist for Safeway. But you know what I've done a couple times? Is I found something at the bakery that I really liked. And then the next day, I'm in staff meeting being like, guys, this was great. You've got to go check it out. And, and I think it's got to be more like that, where it's just out of the natural outflowing. How could we not share? How could someone look at our life and not see the work that Jesus is doing? And so he says, go and make disciples of all the nations. And, and notice he doesn't say make converts, go collect decisions, boost your attendance charts. He says make disciples. Teach people how to follow me. There's a guy I've been walking with for a while, and he works on Sunday mornings. And do I say, sorry, sorry, bud, 9, 10, 30, that's what I got. That's the kingdom of God. No, that's ridiculous. So Tuesday night, 7.30, like we're hopping on a Zoom call with a couple guys. We're reading God's word. And then when we get to the end of it, we, we make those little I will statements because we're trying to obey what it is that God calls us to. Can you imagine if I tried to convince you guys? I was like, guess what? I am a kung fu master. And you're like, okay, so what kung fu did you do this week? None. Nothing. I watched some videos. Am I good at kung fu? No. It's ridiculous. But I wonder, like, and I, I, have, to, I have to wrestle with this, because I'm like, okay, so how many sermons am I listening to? How much time am I spending studying versus obeying? and doing the action step of what it is that Jesus told me to do. What happens when you take 52 little steps of obedience? I have no idea, but let's find out. Let's see what Jesus could do. And he tells his disciples, go then make disciples of all the nations, all the ethne, all the people groups. And here's what I know about us, is that we are part of lots of these little subgroups of people. There, there used to be a day and an age where you could post something on Facebook and all your friends had seen it, or something close to that, right? Like 75% of them had seen it. Those days are gone. 
Now you gotta have Instagram, you got Snapchat, you got text people, like you got, it's, it's all these little subcultures that we're a part of. And I know like my, my circles um, sometimes are very separate. I run into people when I'm doing my hobbies, when I'm walking around grocery stores, maybe I'm serving in a ministry, maybe it's my friends, people I meet through work, and I know you do that too. You move in these different circles. Um, and those are little nations. Those are little ethne. They're little people groups. If we really want to get Greek and nerdy, it's their, their oikoses, their little households, little groups of people. And are there opportunities for you to make disciples in those groups? Egad, I hope so, right? Like that's, uh, and, and, and I, might, I might encourage some people, if we're sitting around thinking, okay, so I don't know anyone that I could make into a disciple. I don't, I don't know that my life intersects with anyone who doesn't know Jesus. That might be a good question for us to tease out. That might be a good opportunity for us to say, okay, am I living the life that I say I want to live? Do I need to go find a way to serve someone in my community? Do I need to open up my schedule so that I have time? Sorry, Jesus, it's just the Great Commission. I don't have time for that. Huh. And, and Jesus told his disciples, he gave them a game plan in Matthew chapter 10. And I could get really excited and dive way too deep in this, so I won't. I'm just going to limit it. Um, but he doesn't tell them to go stand on the street corner in, in the villages and tell absolutely everybody, be like, okay, Jesus died for your sins. You can believe in him. Jesus died for your sins. You can believe in him. He says, go find the person who's open. Go find the person of peace. Go find the person whose heart is ready. And so I'm not asking you Maybe, maybe Jesus might ask you to do this, but I'm not asking you, you know, to like walk in with the what are you, WWJD t-shirt to every parent-teacher meeting you ever go to. But I am asking you to keep your ear to the ground and to find who's the person that God is preparing. Who's the person of peace who's going to be open to receive? And maybe you've experienced that, where like there's someone and their life is getting ready, and when you connect with their life when it intersects, then they're ready. And God does the heavy lifting. You just get to watch. It, it is some of the most meaningful experiences of my life when I, when I sit with someone and we're, we're reading God's word together and they, like, without me preaching at them or saying anything, like, they just look at it and they're like, you know what? I think this might mean that I'm a valuable person. Oh, that's, an, that's a story. That's an earth-shattering truth. I think this might mean that even though I have a dead-end job, that God has a plan for my life. I think that this might mean that there's more to me than meets the eye and that God, is do, God has something for me. That, that's awesome. And once you taste that, it's kind of hard to go back to small groups where we're studying genealogies. Like, it gets a little hard. It, it's interesting when we're making a difference. Let's be the people of God, making disciples. 
teaching them to obey Jesus. And the good news is, if you're feeling overwhelmed or you're like, I don't think I can do all that, you can't. That's the next verse. Jesus says, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is walking right with us. Uh, it is Christmas time, in case you haven't noticed. And at Christmas, we talk about Emmanuel. That's the Hebrew word for God is with us. And that's not just a Christmas truth. Like, that's true in June. That's true in April. That's true on January 1st, that God is with us. And so let's, let's look for him. Let's see what he's doing. Let's let Jesus, let's be open to what he might push on, ways he might make us uncomfortable, ways that he might make us more of ourselves. Because when, when I, I lay down this challenge, because I believe in it, that we should be a people who make disciples, I'm, I'm not asking you to be anything other than what you already are. I'm not asking, we're not saying all the introverts need to turn into extroverts, all the extroverts need to turn into introverts. No. See, in the rest of the New Testament, it says that we are all his workmanship. We're his masterpiece, built on purpose, for the purpose that God calls us to do, the good works that he calls us to. And so some of us um, are going to be teachers. Some of us are going to be apostles, prophets. You're like, those sound like really weird Bible names. Yeah. Some of us are going to be encouragers. Some of us are going to be starters. Some of us are going to build up others. Some of us are going to be pioneers in new areas. And all of that is beautiful. And our, our role as a church is not to get everybody in a room so that we can preach the gospel at them. Our role is to take, well, what's the little flame of following after Jesus how do we pour some gasoline on that? How do we, how do we, and, and that's biblical, right? Like Paul told Timothy, he said, fan into flame the gift that God has given you. And so as I look at 2024, if there's a way that Dallas Church can like walk up to something you're doing for Jesus, pour some gasoline on that fire. This is where my pyro metaphors come out, right? This is great. But I'm serious. Because there's something about human cooperation. We're built as a body on a mission. I am wearing a Captain America Christmas sweater. So I got to tie it into the message somewhere, right? So uh, one, of, one of my favorite moments at the end of Iron Man 1, Nick Fury walks up in his eye patch and his trench coat, and he tells Captain America, or not, he tells Iron Man, he's like, I would like to talk to you about the Avengers Initiative. And he's inviting him into a big, cool mission. And I thought that the, the Christmas sweater was going to be a little bit less disruptive than an eye patch and a trench coat. But I would like to invite all of you to the Jesus Initiative. Like, I would like to invite all of you. Dallas Church, let's be the people of God. And if you're laughing at how silly and nerdy that is, uh, there's another way that we say it around here. Let's go be the church. Let's go be who God created us to be. Let's go build kingdom, organize garages, 
reach people who are lost. Let's make a difference in where we live and where we work and where we play. Let's be the church. Let's pray. Father God, we invite you to move in us, to change our hearts, to work with our weaknesses, and to work in our strengths. Jesus, we ask you to show us who are the people of peace that we can teach to follow you. Where are people ready? Where do we need to be people of peace and be open to what it is that you would call us to? Jesus, you have authority. You're the king. You're with us. We trust you. Amen.